0: The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils,
1: environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.
2: Hello and welcome to this Farm Advisory Service CropCast where today we're talking about all things soils and soil health. And I'm joined by three colleagues for SRUC, uh, Joanna Cloy, who's a soil scientist and researcher at SRUC, Paul Hargreaves, another colleague who's a soil scientist and grassland researcher, and David Ross, who's a senior consultant based in the Northeast. And I'm Fiona Burnett, um, so I head up knowledge exchange and impact at the college as well. So, Joe, I mean Soil health, it's a complicated area and it probably doesn't need to be. So maybe if we start with basics and you can see what we mean by that term, soil health and what you're what you're covering in that in that bucket.
0: Yeah, of course. So soil health to me, um, I think soil health and soil quality both describe the same thing, which is essentially the ability of soils to perform essential ecosystem functions Uh I guess, in terms of of farm soils, it's the ability to support crop production. Uh, But there's lots of other ecosystem functions as well that soils um, provide. Um, But when we think of soil health, we really need to think about the three components, soil biology, chemistry and physics and the health of those soil properties that all influence it um, as a whole. Yep,
2: so it's that kind of just the combination of biology, chemistry and physics all put together. And I mean, maybe again, if we set the scene for this season, David, and I go to you, we obviously had quite a good harvest and a nice period of weather, but then quite a lot of rain. So how are soils looking at the moment when you're out on farms?
3: Uh, yeah, I think I think it's been a little bit of a, a, a game of two halves. A little bit um, early season. Um, early season soils were really, really in good nick. Really good nick actually coming out of the summer. Um, it'd been relatively dry. Um, soils had, had a bit of time to to restructure naturally. A bit. There's quite a lot of cracking and 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 kind of natural fissures in the in the soil, which. Uh, which, when it came to sowing, was was providing a really good seedbed. And if you if you look well in my partner, Aberdeenshire and Angus, the crops here are looking really well. This kind of the earlier, earlier sowing stuff is looking is looking tremendous. Really, this time of year, the stuff that were maybe after potatoes was that little bit later. Got that rain at the start of October, um, and then we're trying to get crops in in the back of that. Um, they are probably and not. Not such good neck, they are they're quite sitting quite wet at the moment, I would say. Um uh, and we've had two well here we've had two weekends of fairly <laughs> fairly bad rain and, and quite stormy sort of weather. So the ground is, is now sitting wet. But those soils it was in early actually they're able to drain and just cope with that rain a little bit better than than what the what the later sown later sown's crops are. But generally with a good season for soils and, and things is looking quite well at the moment
2: that's generally positive but it doesn't take much for structures to change and Paul we were out on farm last week and we all stood by watching you work hard um, digging up um, shovelfuls and we, we were looking there at the the visual assessments of soil structure the vest scoring so can you maybe say a little bit about you know what the vest scoring is and the advantages of of doing that Uh, Of
1: course, yes. Uh, I think it's uh, the job of a soil scientist if he's out in the field to to dig up the soil and have a look at the state of it. And the uh, VES or the Visual Evaluation of Soil Structure, is uh, a really relatively simple, relatively clear method for assessing the uh, structure of your soils using nothing more... Uh, expensive or complicated than a spade and uh, a set of uh, uh, photos and descriptions of what constitutes good soil structure and poor soil structure. And these are available to to download from the website. Uh, And basically digging out a block of soil, uh, the width of a spade round and the depth of a spade, breaking open that block of soil and just having a look at the the structure, the size of the aggregates there, the lumps of soil, to see the state um, of the structure of that soil. And Personally, I think uh, soil structure is one of the more important parts of uh, soil quality. I would probably say that because I do a lot of research into this, but uh, I think having the structure correct or understanding problems that come come out of uh, structural change and structural damage is really important. And and as uh, David just said, it's been wetter towards the end of the year if we're starting to harvest crops or sow crops again in wetter conditions. If you think you're doing uh, management or activities out in the field on soils that are particularly wet then this is a, a, a good indication that the may you may have caused some structural damage and just going out and digging a block of soil, opening that up open, and having a look at the structure and also thinking about this kind of limiting layer within that block uh, where you um, that is the the, the 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 area in the depth of the soil that you're looking that's going to be causing the most problems. And uh, as, as alluded to before, and we've seen this in research that it's uh, if you've got good soil structure in your soil, one pass with a heavy vehicle, a heavy piece of machinery can cause up to seventy percent of that structural damage in just that one pass. So uh, if you think you've got away with it, you may not have done, and it's worth going out with a spade and having a look.
2: Yeah, no, that's a kind of alarming statistic to put on a piece of heavy kit there, Paul. And David, I mean, how are growers kind of improving their VEST score or using that system? And, you know, if they're scoring poorly, what are they doing to improve their their VEST scores? So what we're finding
3: is there, there is... Uh... Well, there's a far greater understanding probably of, of soils now within growers than there has been for for a long time, and and they are looking towards changing their their systems to to try and um, try and either sort out some of these um, these compaction issues or 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 not uh, not cause them in the first place. So, um, I mean, in this area, a lot of the a lot of the kit now, a lot of the tractors, a lot of the um, a lot of the trailers are now on flotation tires, which is making a big difference. A lot of the big potato growers are now on self-propelled harvesters, which uh, is making a difference as well. They're able to, to uh, they're able to stay on top of the land uh, better, and they're able to <clears throat> they're able to in any bad bits, they're able to end the empty on the end rigs and things like this to try and limit the the trafficking of the field, which which is which is a benefit. Um, we're also seeing greater use of cover crops um, to try and use a root, uh, not a piece of iron, to try and, and, and alleviate the compaction and improve the soil structure. Um, so we've got we've got various different cover crops being used, being established at different times of the year. Some some summer covers, um, some uh, autumn covers, uh, and, and various different different kinds. Um, People are also looking at their the rotation a bit harder i think now as well um looking at introducing uh, peas and beans into the rotation to try and again different type of root structure different type of um uh, type of sharing of nutrients and things trying to help help improve that structure um <clears throat> i mean in this area as well we've got a lot of guys that have still got grass in the rotation especially in the in the kind of north north region and at um that gives that soil a bit of a, a rest for the trafficking and also it puts a massive amount of a root structure into the into the soil and things like having different clovers in there as well a bit of red clover can also can also help so um yeah and and, and bits of livestock as well being introduced onto farms uh, to help with organic matter and, and and building that as well which which helps with the robustness of the of the of the soil um and we've got a few guys now looking at Looking at reducing tillage, so uh, trying to um, either through strip till or, or no till systems to try and just not be so disruptive to the to the soil and, and trying to get it to structure itself naturally and uh, and build <clears throat> build on the physics and the biology that Joe uh, Joe spoke about within the within that kind of um, soil health triangle um, and trying to trying to help with the chemical, it, it'll help with the chemical release of nutrients and stuff in time as well. So quite a lot of stuff going on at the moment, um, and like I say, folk are far more aware of it now than, than, than we were, especially with weather events when you're getting these kind of 20, 30 mil dumps of rain. Um, our soils certainly were not able to cope with that in a lot of cases. We couldn't get the infiltration into the soil. Um, so so people are certainly far more aware of that now than they than they have been.
2: That's a huge range of of actions right through from you know new technologies through to some of them. It's really interesting there you mentioned the inclusion of animals again in arable systems, which um you know has been a discussion point um and probably leads us nicely to a bit of we're recording today with cop twenty six still going on in glasgow and There has been a bit of talk about, um, you know, improving organic matter and soils and having animals back in our arable systems. So, Joe, I was going to ask you a little bit about soil carbon there and the advantages of that. And again, you know, there's been some initiatives announced at COP around, you know, carbon and trying to improve that. So can you start us off with the basics and then talk about some of that?
0: Yeah, of course. Um, So just like David said, uh, the soil organic matter or soil carbon will increase the soil's robustness or resilience. So it's a really exciting time at the moment, I think, um, for soil science and uh, for developments across the world, I guess, and trying to improve management practices and trying to really kind of, um, you know, protect soil carbon, so soil carbon carbon's important in the soil, I guess, because it's, uh, it not only helps uh, improve like the resilience, robustness, but also helps soil structure, the biology. The more organic matter or carbon you've got in the soil, then the healthier the soil biology is likely to be. But also, um, of course, with COP26, we have to think about uh, greenhouse gas emissions and if we can kind of have favourable greenhouse gas exchange in soils that's you know that's a good thing and that comes if you've got a good healthy soil with a healthy structure. Also um, using soils to store carbon um, that's you know that is the kind of aim and COP26 is building on initiatives like the four per mil initiative as part of the paris agreement and that really kind of increased this awareness of storing soil carbon or maintaining soil carbon Um, so this four per mil initiative is where uh, countries aim to uh, change management practices to try and aim at increasing soil carbon levels by 0.4% per year. Now, of course, this is kind of like a blanket figure. And of course, across the world, all soils are different. So there has been a lot of criticism of this 4 per mil initiative. So if you think of Scottish soils, a lot of Scottish soils are high in organic matter and there might not actually be much more scope to increase carbon levels as they reach a kind of a saturation point and many of our soils are already at saturation um, from research that we've done but we've found that so I think for Scotland um, yes where soils have been depleted in carbon over time due to intensive arable practices perhaps yes we can try and build that back but for soils that are Already at their kind of maximum soil carbon level, we've got to focus on maintaining that soil carbon. Um, And I think with COP twenty six and like countries kind of you know really kind of signing up, hopefully to making sure that initiatives are like followed through with policy or perhaps even you know payments for for farmers for. Uh, giving like soil carbon sequestration uh, services, perhaps like I think that needs to be thought about. Um, but um, yeah, the, the key thing I guess with um, COP twenty six might be actually avoiding drainage of organic soils. Uh, so in Scotland, of course, we've got lots of peatlands. So I think we need to protect those peatlands and avoid drainage, cutting. Um, I know it's a bit controversial. With the like, whiskey industry relies on on peat cutting for whiskey production. Um, but you know, I feel like if we're going to be serious about climate change, we've got to you know, try and um, you know, look after that valuable resource, um, that carbon in the soils. So, so not just agricultural soils, of course, but I think um. Yeah, farmers are going to have a key role to play as these, you know, protectors of, of the soil. Yeah. So that probably links
2: nicely to you know your work with farmers, David. And you know, do you want to add to what Joe's been saying there?
3: Yeah, I was just, I was just going to add that that, that carbon gets a bad name in the in the whole system. But what we've got to remember is carbon is our energy source. As to as to what we're we're doing as farmers. And, and having more carbons locked in our soils is generally a good thing. So, so, so trying to well, in my book, it it, it it's trying to encourage or trying to to build that energy source of carbon in the soil that's going to be released in different ways, either through can feeding soil biology or increasing that, or giving us extra nutrients, or feeding the following crop. Then, then that is a that's a good thing.
2: Yeah, no, and we've certainly seen it in some of the drier springs where, you know, we've had better establishment and growth in in the higher organic matter soils. Paul, do you want to continue that, that carbon theme?
1: Yeah, if at if all possible, I'd just like to just add a final comment on that uh, coming back to soil structure as well and the resilience that can be uh, added to um, soils with the uh, addition of organic matter that um, it it helps with soil structure but in two ways and these might sound a bit contradictory but uh, if you think of uh, organic matter like a sponge within the, the, the soil structure itself then it allows um better drainage uh, of those uh, soils, uh, so um, helping hopefully reducing kind of water logging of soils that may be uh, more, uh- uh, prone to that but also as a sponge it, it holds on to soil moisture longer as well so if we do start getting drought periods or periods of reduced rain then hopefully um, the uh, soils that have got increased organic matter uh, provide that moisture for a bit longer to give the, the, the growing crop just that uh, extra bit of help uh, during the drier period so again uh, organic matter is important for uh, retaining soil within the soil and holding on to that and carbon sequestration are all uh, good aims for uh, increasing organic matter, but also it gives uh, some kind of mitigation methods to potentially what we might be seeing in future with uh, drier, uh, drier summers and more difficult growing conditions during those.
3: I think that's an important part because we often speak about the whole carbon story and we speak about mitigation. But we also need to think about adaptation and 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 adapting our systems to be able to cope with with different um, events. And and these, like we say, these dumps are a fairly heavy rainfall in a short period are now commonplace through the whole of uh, uh, Scotland. In my in my book, maybe the West uh, had that before, but we're certainly getting that a lot more in the East. And and having a soil that's able to cope with that, able to to, to take in that moisture and store it and release it slowly for the fall, for the crop or, or to be able to cope with that is going to be a big benefit to us in, the, in 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 the next few years as far as i can see
0: so i was just going to say about it made me think about soil erosion and i think people don't realize how big a problem soil erosion is and you know the loss of carbon and nutrients and soil particles like through erosion processes that can lead to other environmental problems
2: So many many advantages there to soil carbon but that's been really useful context because I remember some of the early calculations around the potential to store carbon in soils that were based on Australian soils I think which were very very low in carbon so going back to your early point that Joe that if Scottish soils are already quite high our job is to kind of maintain that and you know advantage of some of the many positives that you've you've all drawn out there Um, Paul maybe if we move on to the perhaps the more chemical um, nature of of soils and and thinking about fertilizer use so I mean presumably there are efficiencies in fertilizer use and just having healthier or better structured soils do you want to say anything about um, fertilizer planning on the back of that
1: yeah I mean I think this is important that we don't you know we don't get carried away too much with the biology and the new exciting uh systems that are coming through from that and we you know we do as uh, Joe said earlier on that uh, it, soil quality is looking at uh, the, the the soil in the hole and Balancing and trying to maximise the uh, advantages of uh, the chemistry, the biology, and uh, the, uh, the the soil structure, uh, and all these working work together. So, a, um, a, a better quality soil should help uh, in, in improve the efficiency of the fertilisers that you put on. We all know fertiliser prices have rocketed over the last few months so any kind of savings there or uh, a more efficient use of those fertilisers are really important and some things come back really down to the fundamentals and I keep having this conversation with both soil scientists and farmers about the importance of soil pH and ensuring that is correct. Uh, people seem to gloss over that and don't see it as a kind of fertiliser or in a chemical addition to the soil that's that important. Well ensuring that your soils have a ph of for, for grassland of 6.2 or arable at 6.4 is really important because that's the uh, point the sweet spot is, if, if you like, where uh, the uh, biology of the soil, the chemistry of the soil, is working in its most efficient, and those uh, nutrients that you then apply are, are made available to the crop for uh, for crop yield. And also, we've seen, and I've done research down here in uh, Dumfries uh, on grassland, where we've purposely uh, compacted soils not not a great uh, one for the stock, uh, the farm manager, uh, but uh, uh, it's uh, it it was something that we also looked at greenhouse gases coming out of or being emitted from the soils that had had compaction and we saw some quite remarkable numbers really i mean this is over a three-year period of, uh, of putting compaction in at the tail end of the year this wasn't horrendous compaction that we were having no yield at all it was just trying to simulate what a farmer might do if he was putting on a last load of slurry or grazing uh, down the, the sward um, uh, before closing up the the pasture uh, for the uh, for the winter, and we were seeing for the um, trampled. Uh, plots uh, for the following years from that, uh, that um, with fertiliser additions, either slurry or inorganic fertiliser, the, the, tr- the trampled plots or the plots that had, had uh, animals walking about on there and uh, grazing on there just for a, a couple of hours uh, at the end of the season, we saw a 19% increase in nitrous oxide production. Uh, And for tractors, 45% increase in nitrous oxide emissions over a control plot where we didn't have any compaction. Now, nitrous oxide may not be that familiar with uh, this uh, greenhouse gas as people are with uh, with carbon dioxide, but this is about 300 times more important as a greenhouse gas than uh, carbon dioxide. So we really should be looking to reduce this as much as possible. And it does, unfortunately, seem to be when you add the fertilisers to the soils and then this is where these emissions take place. Also, methane can be linked through to uh, um, fertiliser emissions as well or soils are less able to act as a sink. For methane, uh, when you add uh, inorganic fertilisers to arable crops, especially uh, ammonia-based uh, fertilisers, so it's thinking about these things and thinking it as in the whole. Hopefully, a, a quality soil, uh, soil that's maintaining its um, its uh, uh, health, is working at its optimum and reducing all these other. Um, uh, Things that we we don't want to see from the soil really, and trying uh, to to enhance uh, the soil's ability to control some of these things. So in some ways, doing looking at soil quality should be a, a win-win really for the farmer. Uh, it should have advantages more than uh, being a, something that uh, an, an extra burden that they're going to take
2: on board. <laughs> No, that's, I mean, those are huge percentages, Paul. And I mean, that's really interesting that you mentioned methane there, where I think a lot of people think of that as a problem in our in animal systems and less so in our arable um, production. So yeah, no, that, that's a really good um, point to ponder. And David, Paul said there, you know, obviously fertilizer prices has gone up hugely, which has rather focused people's minds on how they can be, efficient so are you seeing people making adjustments to their fertilizer inputs this season, and how are they going about that
3: yeah so as as, as you said we're seeing unprecedented prices in in fertilizer at the moment um uh, I quick calculations is that that in on a on a crop of wheat we're seeing somewhere between twenty and thirty pound a ton increase on fertilizer uh, on the cost of production so um, that is uh, significant, significant at the moment, and it, I mean it really depends what what the market's going to do for the rest of the season, both in in the price of wheat and in the and in the the price of fertilizer. But it all indications is that it's going to stay high through till through to the spring at the moment. So um, what we're seeing is we're having there's quite a few guys are, are now, uh, especially grassland guys, I would say, rather than the arable guys, are looking at um, are looking at putting lime on instead of putting fertilizer on for this year which is is really encouraging um trying to get that ph up like paul said um i would i'm a bit grippier than you paul i wouldn't be putting it up quite so, quite so high i'd be looking at 6.2 in an arable situation and uh, and maybe just slightly below that for a
1: for a but for a grassland enough, situation, a, it's a it's a good it's good something to aim at. Yeah,
3: I'm 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 Aberdeenshire born and bred, so that's how it uh, that's how it happens. So, so I, I would yeah, we'd be looking at slightly less than that, but but certainly guys are thinking about that at the moment. Um, they're certainly looking at the break even ratio between the price of the price of wheat and the the cost of fertilizer and and taking up it can there is the opportunity to. To take back the the rate of nitrogen that we're putting on the crops, um, you might get slightly less yield, but actually you should have more money in your pocket at the end of the day. So we're looking at net margin rather than looking at overall um, overall uh, yield. Um, it's a, it is a tricky one because it all depends what the market does, but 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 it's it all indications are that you could come back and at least thirty kilo forty kilos at the moment, and you'll make absolutely no difference to the bottom line. Um, and as we know, just we fertilise fertilizer, this the sun in the sky is gonna probably have a bigger influence on yield than what the, the, the nitrogen is that we're that we're putting on. So they're certainly looking at looking at that. Um yeah I mean people are looking at there's a lot more deals done now locally for muck for straw um trying to get organic matter and, and get nutrients back on farm. Um there's, there's more people looking at, at trying to get Hen Pen or Digestate or other kind of uh, organic manure sources uh, onto farm. Um, these are actually worth quite a bit of money at the moment with the way that nitrogen and phosphate going. Uh, I've seen figures for Hen Pen being worth nearly 50 pounds a ton at the minute, just with the amount of stuff that's in it. Um, it's very, very available to the crop, so we've got to watch when we use it. Um, but the uh, same we we digest it as well, we've got to be a little bit careful when we use it. But, but a really good product that we can use. There is going to be an element that some guys are going to think, well, am I going to be able to grow a crop and, and get a profit out of a crop this year? And there'll be some people looking to can rent out for peas and beans and try and get that in and then hopefully get a wheat crop in the back of that in the area. We're lucky that we can do that in this area. Um, so they are they are thinking about trying to build fertility within the rotation, and and we spoke about cover crops and things as well. It's another way, and maybe grazing a cover crop or grazing a a field of wheat or something. If it's further on at the moment, trying to build a little bit of fertility in it. Although probably the livestock's not adding a huge amount of fertility, but it's it's knocking the crop back a little bit and and just helping kind of get that nutrients um, cycling for the crop that's there. Yeah, sure.
2: so, thanks. Yeah, Stephen. a
3: few things going on
2: yes so lots of ways to build fertility there and coming back to your point about how much we can rain back fertilizer this year the margins the same um but all the advantages going back to paul's points around greenhouse gases as well that um there's efficiencies there. there
3: there's also an there's also an, an argument probably for for going little and often this season as well and just seeing seeing what the application, what the crops looking like rather than putting larger Amount a of, a of, of fertilizer on so by by making a rate taking the rate back but maybe splitting it out a little bit more might might help this this season as well so
2: mm-hmm. yes yeah, so just a more tailored and targeted approach that seems. Eminently sensible, David. Paul, I wanted to come back to the kind of soil health thing. And there's lots of chats about, you know, the different indicators. So do we need to get hung up on whether we're counting earthworms or nematodes? Or is it more about just getting started on some measure and baselining? So are there pluses and minuses there that you want to talk about?
1: Yeah, I think there are pluses and minuses and I think it's a, a sensible approach to start off with. I'm a great believer and when talking to farmers and the farm manager here down in Dumfries that uh, you've got to know what you've got to start off with. So whether it's baseline or just understanding your field or taking some measurements of that, you need to be able to uh, you know, measure, monitor before you can make some management decisions. And hopefully, with the soil a set of soil indicators, then this is really telling you or leading towards what the kind of uh, limiting factor of your soil is at the moment to be able to focus on that and uh, address those problems and try and so overall trying to improve the whole soil health yes there's different different uh, people different organizations suggest different soil indicators but there tends to be a Uh, a base set of these so things that address chemistry like i said before ph the 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 nutrient status of your soils especially linked to what your growing regime or your rotation is so they may be different for grass than for um uh, for arable or for root crops but uh, and also understanding what those crops take out of the soil as well can also help uh, identify which soil indicators that you're doing but again i think whatever you feel comfortable with i think there needs to be some some indication of what the soil biology is doing and earthworms are a good example of this you can go out into the field again with your spades get your hands dirty break open a block of soil count your earthworm numbers compare them to other parts of the field or to a previous year but again if you're doing this year on year i think it's really important that you stick with the same soil indicators, so don't chop and change, so you're not comparing apples with pears, but also doing it at the same time of the year as well. It's no use, again, as an example with earthworms, if you do them in the middle of the winter, they're probably in a resting state and difficult to find and not as active, so it's you know, you're not really getting a true representation of what the earthworms are doing. And again, uh, for a number of reasons, trying to do this in the middle of summer when the ground's hard, trying to find earthworms, they've probably gone deeper into the soil. Again, they may have gone into a resting state if there's less moisture around. So, and again, <laughs> in the middle of summer, maybe seem a, a good time to go and do your sampling because the weather's nice and warm and the ground's dry. But uh, you, you're probably not getting the true uh, state of what that soil is. And uh, like many people, uh, uh, I'm a bit lazy, and if I try and dig a hole in a soil in July, it's going to take a great deal more effort to do that than in um, in the, the spring or or the autumn. And again, I think autumn really is a good time to do this. You've finished one crop or harvesting one crop. Going into the next one, you can get the state of the soil there and start thinking about what management you might have to do there, what kind of levels of nutrients or fertilisers you need to add, whether you need to do something with... the. Uh, uh, with tillage that uh, improves the soil structure, whether you need to uh, think about adding organic mater- matter as well. So putting these into the round and getting a set of indicators that you're happy with doing, you understand what they mean, and they cover both all three of the components of soil quality of the biology, chemistry and physics, I think the important things to be looking at there.
2: Yes, so consistency being the message there, we pick a test and stick with it and we pick a time of year and stick with it. And if it's an easy time of year to dig, then that's an advantage, Paul.
1: And also an easy time of year to affect management changes as
2: well. Joe, I was going to come to you and ask about any kind of new initiatives or innovations in science that might help. And I, you know, particularly thinking of the international examples around the the soil observatories, but is there anything that you see as, you know, an exciting approach that's being adopted or coming along for us?
0: So I feel like, well, let's think about things like these uh, UK soil observatory uh, websites. Um, There's like EU websites as well that do similar things. And it's basically kind of open access soil data so um there's like soil maps that uh people can access as well as resources uh different kind of um bits of information for wider public and science communities and i guess it's not just soil health but because there's a lot of talk about benchmarking soil health and really getting a picture of how healthy our soils are um I think that will like come into to these kind of um, platforms where information is shared and resources are shared so that people can become aware of their soils and the status of soils. And I believe in Australia, they're a bit more further along with their um, kind of observatory data that they put out there um, and they kind of cover not just soils, but kind of environmental pollution. um, And I guess water, water is a big issue in Australia. So yeah, they've got different problems from us, but I think countries need to kind of move towards these kind of, um, you know, like data sharing um, platforms. And I think farmers will know their soils better than other people uh, but they might want to know you know about their their neighbors soils and you know what are they doing and is there are their soils improving through changes in management so this kind of sharing of information I guess and testing out of new innovations um, is you know something for the future yeah. hopefully.
2: No and, and nice to know that there are resources out there to help with that um do you think farmers all turn to that, David, or are there any other thoughts around that?
3: We've we've got to remember we've got a we've got quite a lot of good historical um data through the through the work that Macaulay did and the maps that we've got and and GHI's um uh Swiss um web, website that that can that has all the data and, and, and it is actually worthwhile just to go and have a look at can growers to go and look at their farms and see where there might be differences in soil type within fields and, and what the kind of inherent um, ability of their soil is to cope with things like cycling nutrients and natural pHs and things like that. Because that that does feed into the management and how how those soils all react. So there's 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 lots of information in Scotland that we can that we can use for that.
2: That's great. Paul, have you got a, another top resource that we could turn to there?
1: Well, no, I was just going to agree with that, and I think it's a really important uh, aspect: knowing your soil texture and whether it's a sandy soil or a clay soil. And these are what these maps can uh, help you identify. Yes, you may Uh, have got uh, uh, you're hoping uh, that you've got an idea of what uh, what your your soil is on your farm, but if you do have different types within the same field, then the management is going to change for that. And sometimes I think we 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 we're, we're very excited about the kind of new concept of uh, soil quality but we sometimes forget that it's that one of the main building blocks of that is the the soil texture itself uh, and so understanding that is kind of fundamental to uh, as david said to your management of these soils as well
3: and if we think about things like phosphorus i mean trying to build up phosphorus in some of these soils the, the new technical notes which are on the the fast website um, shows the difference in trying to build up the build up the phosphorus levels. I mean, a lot of guys will know that, that that they struggle to build phosphorus levels up on their soils, and they have to feed the crop that they're that they're growing. So it's just trying to think about that um, for this next year because phosphorus is getting well. It's a limited resource, and it's getting ever more expensive. We can't we can't waste this stuff. We need to be thinking about we can use it smarter
0: yeah i think in the future we're going to rely on bio fertilizers more like using the biology of the soils to make you know any residual phosphorus available to crops and you know ensuring that that we're kind of maximizing what we can get out of the soil
3: that's what, that's what i find exciting about the soil health thing is about trying to increase the biology so that we can Tap into the the natural fertility that there is in the soil that we are maybe not a hundred we're not fully able to utilise at the moment. Yeah. Um, because it is in a lot of cases it is there. We just can't get or the crop can't get at
0: it yet. Yeah. Um, and, and
3: uh, I, think so that, of, that I
0: think use of I think use of fertiliser sometimes just hides the problem as well. Like and just like the plough, you're kind of hiding your problems. <laughs> with it so so yeah there's there's perhaps better ways of doing things in the future
2: that's been a a really great run to and lots that you know individually and collectively you know farmers can do um, to manage their soils there I suppose one of the key questions we're always asked is is any hint around you know where policy might be heading and I know that's a wide open question Paul but I might point this one at you and say is there any kind of hints going forward um, just before we conclude today.
1: Well, uh, <clears throat> I think uh, there's initiatives that have been spoke about before, but uh, speaking to, to farmers out uh, on the farm recently, uh, I think the are moving towards uh, changing uh, farm payments and this kind of idea of kind of stewardship or custodian of the land uh, is causing some kind of concerns and I, I can understand why as well. Uh, there's a lot uh, of Discussion about uh, how we reward people for maintaining or increasing the soil carbon or carbon within the soils. And I think both David and Joe uh, have uh, touched on this uh, that, uh, especially Joe, was you saying that a lot of Scottish soils are quite high in carbon already, and to try and add more to that is uh, not going to be that. easy, Uh, and also measuring that, uh, there's a lot of variability within a field uh, when you're taking measurements of soil carbon it takes uh, years to to, to show a difference in building up that soil, so how do you actually Organized payments around that, and have even had you know some farmers worried that if they've had their uh, soil carbon uh, monitored or measured in a field in year one, in year 10, it shows less organic matter, and they've not really changed the management scheme and they're still adding what they can to the field, whether they then have to pay that money back again. Which uh, you know, these are without the assurance of you knowing how this is going to be uh resolved then these are real worries for for people out in on the in the field and on the farm
0: i think that's really tricky as well because um you know if climate change causes a loss of carbon let's say you know way into the future then you know that so it's not down to management; it could potentially be down to climate change factors, even. So, so yeah, I think we can't control um everything.
1: Yeah, so you may end up not measuring the soil carbon at all, but going down, rewarding people for management and trying to build that up into the soil as a, uh, as as how they do or adding more organic. Uh, Matter to the soils, but again, this is these aren't easy questions and easy things to resolve.
3: I think the key thing is that that we need to there needs to be some kind of standardized baseline monitoring as to how this is going to work. But it, but people that are already down that line, we don't. There are some guys doing some really good work on on trying to improve their soils and and build their own carbon, and we don't want. And if they're five or ten years down the line. We don't want them to be penalized through the policy system because they've already taken the initiative and and done that so uh, and in my book I think there's 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 things that looking at, at storage of carbon so these high carbon soils that the the peatlands and things that are already there that that maybe can't add a huge amount more to that that they are paid to store it because that is as important yeah. Mm, yeah. as it is to mm. sequester it. Um,
0: yeah, I totally uh, agree. They've got to be paid for certain ecosystem services, perhaps. And even if that is adding more woodland or, um, yeah, just keeping those peaty areas, leaving them alone or rewilding different areas. I don't know, maybe it's going to be like a mosaic of land with lots of different bits.
2: That's some really big questions to, to finish up on today. But I think probably that piece around at least some form of standardised baseline monitoring is key big questions uh, around the science here but and certainly around the policy but i think encouragingly that thought that you know farmers can be part of the solutions and are increasingly being considered in that way too so thank you all very much for for your input there and thanks to everybody who's listened into to this crop cast and i hope you will listen to others in this series thank you